your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture With Stick Around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around uh, The podcast that has a statement about re- recent media speculation Regarding the Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom review I thought it would be obvious, but I would just like to clarify, just in case it wasn't. In a key sentence in my review, I said the word wouldn't instead of would. The sentence should have been, I don't see any reason why I would see Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom again, or why it would be worth a rewatch. Sort of a double negative. So you can put that in, and I think it would probably clarify things pretty good by itself. Sponsored by Baked Beans. 20 tins free with every copy of a right-wing newspaper. I know it might be hard to stockpile them in your bed sit, but you've got to get prepared for a no-deal Brexit. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yes, you do. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to leave it at that, really. Um, (laughs) That's a lot of newspapers that that describes as well. Yeah, like the majority. I mean, baked beans are just flying around. A lot of newspapers, a lot of beans. Yeah, mm. um, I'm sure they're not even made in the UK, but I'm going to pretend they are. <laughs> At least the tins probably aren't. Um, yeah, so that, that's, that's what's happening. We're stockpiling food for a No Deal Brexit. Seems like a good idea. This No Deal Brexit. I mean, especially when you've got a country that literally can't make anything. You don't really need deals. I don't uh, think. Uh, what? At what month do you think, um, after s- severe food shortages, do you think we'll start eating EU nationals? <laughs> Pretty much immediately, I'd say. So uh, I'd better get out. <laughs> yeah, people are going to start trying to give you the remaining corn to fatten you up, Clive. And uh, nice, get some nice cl- Swiss burgers on the go. <laughs> and not the types you got in McDonald's a while ago. Well, I hope not, anyway. <laughs> um, right, we're here for... TV shows, episode 26. A bit of a streamlined crew today. Um, I'm here with Michael Johnson. What up? And Alex Wayne. Hey. Woo. And they're here to talk about some TV shows. Um, uh, Al's just been saying there's quite a lot of TV going on at the moment. I wouldn't know. Is is, is this true? I think there is. So there's. I think there's a lot of um, kind of high standard, high concept dramas. But there's also a lot of what I would call high quality nice telly. I'll explain what I mean by that later, but it's stuff that it's stuff that doesn't require a you know an in depth review as such, but um, would be heartily recommended anyway. Oh, excellent! Do you like a bit of nice telly? Yeah, you know what I mean. Nice. Yeah. Michael, you been watching much? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's always a lot of telly going on now, but at the moment, there's a lot of telly going on that I've been watching as well. So that's that's the difference. Okay. Um, so yeah, various things. Some of them pretty high profile shows. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been watching the the news, which could review <laughs> that later. Nice. I don't recommend been, that. I mean, the script's quite ludicrous, to be honest. <coughs> Not believable. I know, um, I mean, <laughs> 2017 just jumped the shark, and 2018 is needs to be cancelled. I mean, 27, we thought it was bad, but... <laughs> yeah. My, I think my highlight of this entire, you know, mess, if you could have a highlight, was that that uh, famous Trump interview where he's... <laughs> I was, like, literally rolling around laughing, listening to it, going when he was going on about his wooden-wooden thing. I was like, this is the most <laughs> ludicrous thing I've ever heard. 
<laughs> You've almost got... I can't believe this is not a, like some sort of satirical comedy. <laughs> I think my favourite was when he threw a starburst at Angela Merkel. <laughs> I didn't remember that. Apparently that, that. that apparently happened at the G7 summit, yeah. I'm stealing your line here, Michael, but it must have been a green one. There's no way you're throwing any of the others. Yeah, definitely. There's no way she's getting a red one thrown at her. That's a compliment, if anything. <laughs> Although, what I'm wondering is, do they have Starburst in America? Did he just? Did he not really know what they were and absentmindedly just took one from a bowl? It could have been any colour. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe. Well, maybe he was Let's just face it, every, everything he does is absentmindedly so. The There's not enough sugar in this. <laughs> <laughs> Holds it across the room. Uh, <laughs> right, let's get started. Um, Michael, do you want to start us off with your first review? Yeah, so I'm going to talk about the second season of HBO's Westworld. Um, I was a huge fan of the first season, which I thought was um, one of the best first seasons of anything I can remember. The show's... I mean, I think the um, the standard description of the show now is as a puzzle box. I've seen it said so many times that it's it's almost a cliche now. I basically agree with that in that you never quite know what's going on with either of the two seasons of Westworld, I would say now, until they're over, and then you really have to look back and reassess them based on uh, on how they end, um, which helps to put everything into context. There's a lot of feeling, even for someone who watches it every week, or I think, anyway, like, you're never, you're never quite sure what you're seeing because the show is so fragmented in terms of the structure of its storyline. Uh, this is typical of one of the two writers, Jonathan Nolan, who has obviously written um, scripts before for his brother, Christopher, uh, such as Memento and The Prestige, which are very much in the same tradition, uh, that sort of approach to non-linear narratives. Um, he co-writes the show with his partner, Lisa Joy. Uh, but I would say that even by the standards of his previous work in the first season of Westworld, uh, this really takes that sort of style of storytelling to a new level. There's a real thematic prescience to this season, I would say, as well as the implications of artificial intelligence, which are obviously one of the, the most key themes to the show. Uh, we've now also got an extra element of exploring uh, data abuse by big tech companies, that sort of thing, which is has recently been obviously a huge news story. It's definitely very much at the centre of this season of Westworld. Two of the most central characters are um, certainly the characters of two of the hosts, in the uh, the park in Westworld, uh, Maeve and Dolores, and I think their their meetings in this uh, season of Westworld provide some of the most electrifying scenes. Uh, Dolores is a very different character to in the first season, uh, which obviously makes for an interesting uh, exploration. The probably the twistiest arc belongs to the man in black, or William, uh, his real name. I think he he's certainly one of the continues to be one of the most central characters in this season, and um, Bernard. One of the, another one of the hosts, who is uh, sort of undercover as a as a human still in this season. Um, I think he's his character is really the conscience of, uh, of the show of Westworld, and uh, his highly fluid relationship with Anthony Hopkins' character uh, Ford is um, is really one of the key tenements on which the show is built. There was an excellent fourth episode in this season, which is made up of ten episodes, which really flicked back and forth in time in the way that all Westworld episodes tend to now. Um, it's, it seemed like it was inspired by Lost uh, quite a lot, some of the uh, the setting of it. Um, but that was actually denied by Lisa Joy, but I just, just think it's worth mentioning that I think Lost has been a key influence on a lot of shows, not necessarily 
uh, directly, but I still think it's. I think it has played into um, the sort of idea the ideas that Westworld plays with. I think it's time for a bit of a reassessment of the show because, despite a weak ending, it was definitely one of the best shows I've seen in my lifetime. But uh, getting back to this, I think this this season, uh, from what I read online and general reception of it, people. I mean, it had an gr- excellent critical reception, but I think fan reception was a little bit different. Um, I think the season lacks a bit of humour in comparison to the first season. I know some people thought it was drab. I can sort of relate to that a little bit, but I didn't consider it to be a big flaw. The show's, I think the show has struggled to it struggled to add viewers uh, this season. I think HBO were hoping that it could grow into a sort, at least a, a form of successor to Game of Thrones, which I don't think you're ever really going to have, but this would have been a contender. I think that looks unlikely now. It doesn't look like it's going to move beyond its core audience, which... Uh, I think it seems to be about 2 million people in the US. Can I stop you there a minute, Michael? I don't double touch you, uh, yeah. you. You might not know this, but is, is that a good audience figure or not? Um, I, think it's pretty, it's, I think it's pretty steady, but I think HBO were hoping for higher. Just the impression that I get. Uh, do you I know think what, it's, what does Game of Thrones do? Well, the most recent of... Um, I think we're into we're over ten million now for the, the most okay. recent episodes. Wow. But that doesn't it, that is, you see that's that's the amount of people watching it live. That doesn't even do justice to the amount of people watching Game of Thrones. I'm sure there's more people watching this than two million. But you know, Game of yeah. Thrones has a, a way bigger audience than than the TV viewing figures suggest. Mm. Uh, and is of course the most pirated show in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. So I, th- I think. Um, obviously, this has been this has been renewed for a, a third season, um, but I think there is, um, you know, what what a lot of people dislike about it is stuff that I like. I mean, I've I've previously described it as structurally structurally speaking, it's basically narrative porn, the way that it it's um, it sort of turns itself inside out in terms of the timeline. Yeah, I think you have to ask the question of whether the end of this season out twisted itself. Uh, we knew there was going to be some big twist because that's just that was what the first season finale offered us. Uh, I was expecting that um, again at the end of this one, and we got it. Uh, but what it really leaves an absolutely breathtaking scope to the show with the ending of this season. I have no idea what this show is going to look like next time. So while I felt like I needed to see the end of this season in order to be able to put the whole season into context, now I feel like I need to see the next season in order to put everything we've seen up to now in context. So it's these sort of acrobatics that um, that the structure of Westworld makes you perform in your head when you're thinking about it. But it's, I mean, it's a visually stunning show, uh, raises a lot of thought-provoking issues, has amazing production values that most shows would be absolutely envious of. Um, it's, it is very flashy, um, like I've touched upon. Uh, it has excellent music, um, a lot of it original, a lot of it original, a lot of it covers of uh, famous songs. Uh, there's a very uh, interesting cover of Seven Nation Army popped up um, in this season, and. Uh, Musically, the show, um, the season ends with Codex by Radiohead, which has never really jumped out to me as a Radiohead song, but I think it just shows how there can be this interplay between different art forms. I think I'll always now think of this show when I think of the song, and somehow it was a really powerful, perfect choice of song for the end of this particular season of Westworld. So I think that's always... uh, The use of music in these sort of shows is always interesting. Westworld really gets it, I think. Unsurprisingly, it is scored by... um, Ramin Jawadi, the same uh, as Game of Thrones. So you have, you, I think you see these little bits of crossover within the two shows uh, from HBO. Um, th- there's also introduction of some extra parks beside Westworld. 
uh, within the whole um, the show's universe this season, which I think adds a little bit of uh, extra flavour to it as well. But yeah, I mean, I'll definitely be signed up to watch the next season of Westworld. I really enjoyed this. Um, I, as, I, as I mentioned, I can see why perhaps uh, some people didn't do. It's never a show that caters towards any sort of casual viewer whatsoever, which I like. Um, you know, I don't like being spoon-fed. I like to be able to go out there and, and do the work after I've watched the actual show if I need to. This is very much that sort of show, uh, with one exception, which was... I don't know if this happened in the US, but in the UK there was the addition of previously on Westworld segments at the start, which I hate and which I think makes no sense to be added halfway through a show. That didn't happen in season one. But again, that's a minor complaint. Um, very good from me. Yeah, um... I've also seen this. Anyone who's listened to the pod before will know I'm, I'm a big Westworld fan. Uh, I largely agree with Michael. Um, I thought this was more of the same, but I don't mean that as a, as a criticism. I would say that while this season continues to kind of play with non-linear storytelling, um, it's not perhaps quite as twisty as the first one. Except oh, do you really think that? Yeah, I would say so. Um, right, okay. Except for maybe the end, uh, which, as you suggested perhaps out-twisted itself a little bit. Um, as a Middlesbrough football fan, uh, this is a very niche reference, but it reminded me a bit of a Jonathan Greening dribble, where it seems to beat its, a, beat its opponent before going back to try and beat it again. Uh, unnecessarily, just get the cross in the box. You know? Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, <laughs> um, I, was, I mean, I'm not going to go into as much detail as you because you've largely covered quite, quite a lot of my opinion, really, but I, I would say I was particularly impressed by... Um, the performances of Tessa Thompson and of um, oh, Thandie Newton. I mean, Thandie Newton, I think, is a tremendous actress anyway, but um, she continues to be excellent. In this. And she doesn't seem to have ever aged, by the way. I was watching <laughs> um, Mission Impossible 2 the other day. It was just on in the background. And yes, she does look a bit younger, but really not significantly. She's, she's a great actress. Um I think if I had a minor criticism of the show, it would be that occasionally, and this is a criticism I would level at Game of Thrones as well, occasionally it seems to set itself a scene where the writers have said, right, we need to have something really big and memorable piece of dialogue here, quotable yeah. for a trailer. Uh, almost a bit portentous at times. I was, yeah, I was, I was going to mention that, actually, because uh, it sort of slipped my mind, but I think that's, that's a common criticism I've seen. I don't actually find that as much with Game of Thrones, but it feels like this... Uh, I think I saw someone make the criticism that Westworld at times feels like the dialogue is exclusively in monologues, and it it sort of feels a bit like that at times. Yeah, uh, a bit sort of cod philosophical. Yeah. I, I, I find that you tend you tended to get that in Game of Thrones with uh, Littlefinger or Daenerys yeah. with some big quote about how she's going to break something like a wheel for the trailer. Um, yeah, probably a bit of a probably quite an influential show in that regard. We'll probably see it a lot because of that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it feels like that kind of dialogue wasn't necessarily written initially to be showy, and yeah. then people have come to expect it so that they feel under pressure to have a line like that or mm. a few lines like that every episode. Um, I felt that this was a bit more inconsistent than the first season. I felt there were some extremely strong episodes, and particularly, I forget what number it was, but there's an episode that focuses on uh, a Native American character, which I thought was probably the strongest of the season. Actually, yeah, um, that is uh, that is worth mentioning. That was an excellent episode. Yeah, yeah. and no I like the fact it. that it like it sort of it emerged from within the seam from sort of within within the seams of the other storylines, and it just sort of came, it came out of nowhere really, and like, had its own yeah. brilliant episode. I really like that sort of style of writing when it's done properly. 
the production values are exquisite as usual and the, the show I'm going to focus on next is of a similar vein and it makes me think about how TV shows arguably are on the verge of looking more cinematic than the majority of movies at the cinema the standards of production are out, like unbelievable. Uh, when you look at back at what were big pr- promotion shows like Twenty Four, and they look cheap nowadays by comparison. I would say that the next season will have to be radically different based on how this one ends. Yeah. Um, and it's unclear which characters will be back and which characters weren't. With the hosts being essentially fixable always, you can never say for a fact that that character's dead unless they are a genuine human. Which, to me, leaves it open to what I would call narrative abuse. But we'll mm. see. Um, yeah, I see your point, yeah. I, I kind of like people to stay dead when they're dead. I'm a, As people will know from my solo review in the films podcast, if somebody's dead, don't bring them back. You know, <laughs> well, you, you, you've got to write it exceptionally well for me to buy it anyway. But yeah, largely, I totally agree. I think I wouldn't rank it as highly as the first season. But I would say the difficult second album, you know, they, they passed with a plum, and maybe it'll grow on me. I haven't given it a second watch yet. Um, I actually appreciated the first season a lot more on second viewing, so mm. I might, yeah, it might rise even higher in my estimations after second viewing. I, I think it's probably even essential to re- watch this show twice. You know, really, it probably is. Yeah. It's just finding it's just finding the time. Of course, yeah. And, yeah. and like like I said, there's so much good telly on at the minute. Um, you think, well, does this show deserve two viewings? Well, probably yes, but you know, there's mm. so much else that's new that you yeah. could be watching. No, I agree. Yeah, I did think this, uh, like I like I mentioned, that I did I did actually think this season was more ambitious in terms of the way it structured itself. Uh, not okay. saying it entirely nailed it, but yeah, just just a difference of opinion. Obviously, one other thing I just want to mention is uh, this is a thing that I think applies to basically all drama now, um, but definitely American drama, and it's not going to surprise anyone. Uh, but I think Westworld is possibly the. I think it's taken it to new extremes, and that is just the over reliance on guns. In, uh, I mean, it doesn't bother me, but it's some, there's so much. But it's something I always notice, and sometimes I think it feels a bit lazy. I know it's obviously partly Western set, so this sort of thing is going to happen. But it's like, I mean, it's a show that really, really relies upon the use of guns. Hmm. You know? Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, uh, po- possibly we'll see less of it next season. For reasons that, if you've seen it, you'll understand. Yeah. Um, but I think that will be the acid test as to whether this, whether it's obsessed by just throwing in an action set piece or not, which are necessary, obviously, at times. But um, yeah, I think some people thought this was a bit too action movie this season, but I didn't really notice that sh- any shift there. Mm. Uh, so. Oh, my, my only—I don't want to really end on a negative, but my only other criticism was I felt the entire Samurai World storyline was filler. I've got to say. Oh okay. Uh, I mean, I didn't. It wasn't. I didn't enjoy it. But the more I think about it, I'm not sure w- what it did for the plot. Okay. Yeah. It, it felt like it felt like a a side quest in a video game. You know. Um, yeah. Great. You know. You've gone. Got the experience points. You've leveled <laughs> up. But you know. Um, what What did it do for the main narrative? Not really a lot. It felt. It felt like fan service. But I'm not. I'm not totally opposed to it. But. Um, I think that that's why I preferred the first season. It didn't feel like there was a wasted second in the first season. Whereas, yeah, yeah. I would, I would, I would suggest that this isn't quite as tight. How many? Speaking of tightness, how many episodes is this? Standard like ten episode yeah. job. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ten for each season. Yeah, I think the um, the se- the second season is a lot different already. It does. It did sort of at points make you nostalgic for the first. Um, 
not heavily, but the first was sort of with hosts being wheeled, you know, out of the park into the back to have, um, you know, work done on them by the, the Westworld engineers. The whole mystique of it where nothing had really sort of kicked off, if you like, yet. Um, mm. You know, I think the, I think they might they probably struggled to top season one because I thought that's how good it was. But I did like season two, as I've as I've mentioned. Did this hold any interest for you, Clive? Yeah, this is definitely one of those uh, mainstream. Well, I suppose mainstreamish. I know a lot of people who watch it that I want to watch. So I'm pleased that the second season's good because I think it's one of those that I don't know. <laughs> the problem is when they carry on, I'm the the less likely I am to watch. Although I have now watch Game of Thrones and although I'm still not fully caught up I know I'm going to so that does happen mm. and this might be one of those where I sit down and bosh the referee seasons when I know it's going to finish type thing but I tend to watch stuff once I know it's finished and it's the ending's good or whatever <laughs> do you know what I mean rather yeah. than uh, watching it as it happens just because I'm not much of a TV watcher as you know but mm. Yeah, we um, watched Godless the other day. Not well, a couple of months ago now. And finished that. Enjoyed that. I'm not going to review it because uh, I think you reviewed it on the show, didn't you? Alan? I think it was in your top yeah. five that year when it came. It out, was. So. Did you like it? Yeah, yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, it was good. Bit, but I think you said as well. There's a little bit baggy in the middle, but um, yeah, had some some slow moments, but it was really good. I enjoyed it. Mm. Thought the characters were really good, and it was fun. Um, right, Al, what have you got for us? Uh, What's well, another one that me and Michael will. Um, I Excellent. would imagine have a lot to say on um, just the difference will be I'll be leading with it it's The Handmaid's Tale season 2 this so is another one just, I really want to watch <laughs> yes you'd absolutely I must. think this might be um, top of the list so just to be clear from the off we're reviewing this based on episodes that have come out in the UK I'm aware that in the US they are at least a couple of episodes ahead if not more um so I'm not judging it overall. I'm judging just from what I've seen, but I'd be mm-hmm. very surprised if my opinion changes. Um, so the second season picks up where the first season ended with uh, June or Offred uh, being bundled into a van, which is the end of the actual novel. Um, and we don't really know what's going to happen to her. Um, and this season starts with a sort of I don't know, a nerve-ratcheting scene in which it it appears that all the handmaids will be executed. I mean, your brain knows for a fact it's not going to happen because it's scheduled for 10 episodes or whatever. Um, (laughs) But it's done so well with such um, sort of knife-edge tension that um, you can believe it. Um, When we talk about production values in something like Westworld, um, I think possibly The Handmaid's Tale takes it to a whole other level, which is saying something. Um, I think I've mentioned this before in a review, but the cinematography, direction, and lighting are art. I mean, um, I think you could pause any frame in The Handmaid's Tale and legitimately frame it, and it would, wouldn't look out of place in a gallery. I think Michael might go into it later, but it's a co- comment Michael made to me where there's a, a scene where June literally just clicks a pen, a ballpoint pen, which is possibly the only time you've ever watched a ballpoint pen being clicked and thought, wow, that is possibly modern art. Um, <laughs> Stealing my material, are you? Uh, sorry, have you got that down to note? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. sorry. Um, I'm just kidding. Yeah, the, the, the performances, uh, wow. I mean, Elizabeth Moss, I, I legitimately think, is the best actor working. I've, I mean, she, she was outstanding in Mad Men um, back in the day. And she's been absolutely different standard here. So she can do more with a solitary glance, a solitary flicker of the mouth than half the Hollywood A-listers could do with a five-minute monologue. 
in- incredible range of emotion, which is never overplayed. I can't express how good she is. I mean, I'm like, I, I feel that it's all, it's almost unfair how good her performances are. Um, but I think she's got some contenders um, to match her this year. Um, Yvonne Strahovski as oh I forget the Serena name. Joy. Serena, sorry, yeah, I wanted to say Selena, but yes, um, her master, if you like, is outstanding in this season, showing a little bit of moral ambiguity to go with her ice queen nature, and the. Absolutely reliable and dowd as Aunt Lydia is, you know, pretty much the the consummate uh, character actor, if you like. I think some people have accused The Handmaid's Tale of becoming a little bit of a, you know, tragedy porn in the sense that um, not a lot of positivity happens in it. This is a grim, you know, fascist world where ritualized rape is part of the culture and any dissent is punished with brutality. And that's true to an extent. The, the show will often offer you a little branch of hope only to rip it from your hand, uh, leaving the character in a worse position than they were before. Um, however, it, to, to me, this would only be a problem if I felt that the, the show wasn't going somewhere where that would be eventually extinguished. I feel like this show will eventually have the biggest and most satisfying payoff of all time. And I'm not saying the good guys have to win totally, but... <laughs> You know, we're going to need something of a win. And I think when the show mixes in, say, a flashback or a minor moment of triumph, it really does have an emotional gut punch to it that, um, you know, constant wins in other shows just don't have. I would say The Handmaid's Tale is the most emotionally involving, stunningly produced piece of kind of AAA television that possibly I've ever seen. I think... It does have to go somewhere, and they do have to be very careful where they take the narrative, especially because they they don't have a book to work on anymore. Um, But this is truly truly subversive TV, in my opinion. And I'll hand over to Michael at this point. Yeah, I mean, 100% agrees. I'm practically out of words with this show. Um, It was my favourite show of last year. It's locked in for the same this year on the basis of the nine episodes that have been aired in the UK so far. The whole thing about that you've mentioned before about every shot being like a work of art is completely true. Uh, the colours, the lighting, everything in that sense is perfect. And I, as, as I mentioned, I did have a note down about that shot of just uh, not just the pen being clicked, but just uh, just the hand rolling over the pens before that. It's almost like uh, fetishistic in the way it's filmed. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's really interesting. Like Westworld, um, I think what this show shows from the way it's uh, produced and the way it it's uh, <clears throat> broadcast, is that <clears throat> we are now in a very stylized era of TV. Um, I don't think these sort of leading shows of today have the same sort of organic feel like your golden era shows, The Sopranos and The Wire. Um, but that doesn't matter so much when it's made up with basically every facet of the show being astonishing. The writing, acting, cinematography, as Alex has touched upon. The character dynamics, I mean, the atmosphere in that house. Wow. You know, and... Um, no, the show's been very spare with its use of flashbacks again. By the way, another uh, another area where Lost led. I'm really, you know, tooting the horn for Lost today. <laughs> um, but uh, the show's been very sort of teasing with that, and I'm still waiting for. I hope we get it one day. But the uh, the elusive flashback for uh, the character of Aunt Lydia that Alex uh, mentioned. Yes. Uh, it feels yes. like that's going to be uh, big whenever we see it. But um, a character that I saw someone on Twitter brilliantly describe as uh, Miss Trunchbull for adults. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 
the the Vince McGregor episodes this season, the most recent one aired in the UK was a, a highlight. Um, it involved a state visit um, by the Gilead regime in the show to Canada, and I think the different uh, the different change of scenery um, uh, adds to the sh- something to an extra element to the show as well. Episode two was probably my favourite so far this year. Usually, when you think of a favourite episode, you think of big explosive um, devices that drive the story forward. This show, this episode didn't have that. It was just perfectly constructed. I thought uh, completely watertight, excellent artistic choices. It opened with a track by uh, Arca, who is uh, anyone who's listened to the music podcast knows one of my my modern favourites. Uh, it involved June uh, sort of hiding out at the abandoned offices of the Boston Globe newspaper, and uh, over the closing credits, it had the commentary from uh, the Boston Red Sox's. 2004 World Series win, which absolutely sent shivers down my spine. Uh, on that topic, the uh, the big opening scene of the season that Alex mentioned also takes part, place in an abandoned, a seemingly abandoned Fenway Park, uh, the home of the Red Sox. Um, I'm, I'm a sucker for the use of uh, sport in big dramatic ways like that, so I absolutely loved that. This is 100% appointment television on a Sunday evening in the UK. Uh, it's episode 10 tonight, obviously. The one thing that I would love is if Channel 4 can uh, somehow broadcast this uh, simultaneously in future. Obviously it's already been uh, renewed for a third season, like Westworld. The show's main creator, Bruce Miller, uh, has mentioned wanting to do perhaps ten seasons of this. Bad idea. Uh, That's raising red flags for me. I mean, I think it's obviously it's possible to pull that sort of thing off. I think Mad Men came close to that, but I think generally that would be an exception. I'd prefer to see, you know, a more normal amount of... um, of seasons for this show, but up to now it's been so good that um, you know they, they've got license to say things like that at the moment if they like. Just to t- this touches upon what Alex was mentioning about uh, people thinking the show doesn't have a lot of hope in it. I don't really buy that criticism because I mean, yeah, it is. It's it's a grim uh, world that's created in this show, but um, I mean, when Alex said, <clears throat> you know, it's a grim fascist world. I thought he was going to say it's a grim fascist world and The Handmaid's Tale is one of the best shows we have to watch in it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and that's, yeah. and that, is, that is my point. You know, how relevant could... How, this show could not be more relevant in the Trump era, you know. Just, the, uh, just this week I saw a video doing the rounds, um, I think it's had quite a lot of attention, of a Puerto Rican woman being harassed in America by someone uh, mm-hmm. while a policeman yeah, stood, stood um, you know, refusing to intervene. I mean, it cuts to the core of the sort of dynamics you see in The Handmaid's Tale to, to me, and I don't see how this show could be, you know, it couldn't be more relevant, really, to some of the things going on in the world. And it's exactly the same sort of thing as people saying, well, we shouldn't show rape in TV shows. How about we stop showing rape when rape stops happening? That's my think- my thinking on it. And I think it's exactly the same argument in this area. But, um, I mean, I feel, I feel like... Towards the end of his description, there, Alex was struggling to find the words to describe this show. It had it has single-handedly rendered superlatives redundant. Largely, I think that's that's how much. I mean, it sounds like we're going way over the top here, but that's that's how much I do love this show. Yeah, it's well, absolutely. Um, just you, you you struggle to think how it could get any better. Yeah, um, which <laughs> sounds like a criticism again, but. <laughs> Um, you have to watch this, Clive. I know you're not a big fan of generally. No, this is. I think this has gone to the top of. I've got some holidays now, so uh, I might. This probably going to finish Game of Thrones up to where we're at, and then start this because it sounds really, really good, and it sounds completely up my street in terms of like the themes and stuff. So. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, I don't think I don't think the exact world that you see in um, 
The Handmaid's Tale, Gilead, in 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 of itself is possible, but you feel like a kind of more sanctified, um, kind of sleepwalk, sleepwalked fascism like that is possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't feel a massive, you know, doesn't feel that far away, really. Um, you you know you've got racist people who are, you know, being encouraged practically by the mainstream media. Um, you have you know, fascism pretty much being openly touted as a democratic choice. Um, And one thing I'll say about this show as well is, despite the fact it has so many parallels in the real world, it's never on the nose or blunt about it. It feels like the show just tells the tale as it is, which is obviously based on a novel that was written in the 80s. But it just happens to have parallels, which is great, because I don't want them to... I don't want next season... There to be a big orange dictator, you know that would be <laughs> shit. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, totally you know, true. Yeah, there is absolutely enough you can take from this show that's reflective in the world we live in now, without making it, you know, deliberately Trump, you know, or deliberately, you know, fucking Farage or whatever. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Well, two pretty uh, big shows there. Um, both doing well, so that's good. And I was particularly intrigued by Handmaid's Tale because of the, obviously it finished. The end of the book was the end of the first season, wasn't it? And yeah. A lot of yeah. people thought that they should have left it at that. So it's good to see that they've managed to continue to keep it as good while writing their own stuff, really, and having nothing to stick to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because that would have been a concern, I think, but it's been pulled off spectacularly. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, that's really good to hear because I was I was kind of like not that bothered because I was like, if it's bad, I'll just watch the first season and that's fine for me. Because um, it'll be like a you know a visual representation of the book, and then I won't bother with the rest of it. But it seems like you need to carry on watching it. Yeah, which is so. good. Awesome. Um, right, we're back round to Michael. What else have you got for us? Uh, so I've got two other shows that I've watched that I've just got some short notes on each. Um, I've watched the first season of Atlanta. I uh, haven't seen the second season as of yet. This is uh, Donald Glover, or as he's better known now uh, in the music sense, Childish Gambino. Uh, his show, uh, which he stars in and writes, basically a comedy drama about um, he plays a, a music manager managing his cousin who is an up and coming rapper in Atlanta. Uh, it's very well written. It's poignant, but also uh, regularly hilarious. Had me laughing out loud uh, quite a lot across the ten episodes of the first season. Uh, it feels remarkably observed. Uh, all of it feels like very lived in. I can imagine Glover's experiences in various areas that he's fed into this show. Um, there's variety to it as well. There's one memorable episode in the first season, which has an... Um, I mean, Glover doesn't appear in, in it at all. It features uh, Paperboy, his cousin, the rapper, uh, on a chat show. And that basically co- constitutes the entirety of the episode, complete with uh, advert breaks, with uh, quite a humorous, jokey adverts uh, inserted in, in there as well. Uh, the episodes are very bite-sized. They're short to watch, very smooth and easy. And I, th- I just I think this show ties well into. I think I've touched upon this in music before, but <clears throat> I think Atlanta's become. People might find this controversial, but I'm prepared to dive in because they've done so much for hip hop this decade. Uh, I think it's really become America's leading one of its, arguably its leading cultural city in in this decade. And uh, this is this shows a good example of it. One of the acts from Atlanta that I've mentioned a lot in music before, Migos, appear in one episode quite hilariously. Um, so this this shows, um, yeah, definitely recommended because it's it's so easy to um, to digest and uh, very good with it. So I'm a big fan of that. 
The other show I want to mention is uh, the Netflix documentary Wild Wild Country. Six-part documentary based on real-life events in the 1980s. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything in particular because um, this is a show that I would definitely approach you know, with a blank canvas, not knowing... Uh, I mean, I was aware of the story involved in it, but not to the in the depth that this show dives into, which is quite considerable. Uh, I think it really shows how life is often stranger than fiction, <clears throat> and the events depicted in the documentary really need to be seen to be believed. It's quite remarkable. But what makes it so watchable, I think, is it has a really driving narrative feel to it. Um, it's very well spaced out between the six episodes, the events that occur in it. Uh, it really builds to crescendos, which are aided by an excellent soundtrack. Uh, and I have to say, all of these shows that I've talked about today have made great musical choices. So if we're looking at them through that prism, I think that's a really key ingredient to good television. The only other thing I wanted to mention is that um, I noticed this week that Netflix has been in the news. Apparently a lot of people have been pessimistic about it because it seems to have uh, reached its peak audience. There's a lot of theorising that it can't add any more... Um, any more viewers, but I think when you consider how ubiquitous Netflix is now, I'm just wondering how much money these people want. I mean, why is that considered a bad thing? I don't really know. But what I do know is Netflix has produced... Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I'm not one of its most uh, prolific watchers, like some people I know, but uh, it has produced a lot of valu valuable television, and it's really revolutionised the way we consume TV. Uh, and I think this sort of content, Wild Wild Country, is a key example of what it can do best when it's really good. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I reviewed this on the pod before Wild World Country. Um oh, did you? And it's, okay. I'm a, I, I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for any kind of um, true crime or kind of true life stories like this. And by the way, I would recommend The Staircase if you haven't watched it already. Maybe. All right. Okay. Yeah. I've seen the hype for it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, these sorts of things are highly addictive. Um, often, the truth is more exciting than something that. You know, he's fictional. Yeah. I mean, you've got so much to choose from as well. I mean, the granddaddy of this kind of genre is the Jinx, uh, which I will harp on and 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 on about. Please watch it if you haven't. But don't read anything about it, though. Yeah. You will spoil it for yourself. But yeah, outstanding. Cool. Atlanta's one that I want to watch, yeah, because... I do like a good comedy, so it seems like. Oh yeah, check it. <clears throat> and because of the, so. like I said, because of the length of the episodes, you can watch it pretty quickly. So. Yeah, sure, mm. cool. They're not even half an hour long. Um, some of them probably only. I've been debating between minutes. that and and Sunny Side. Do you mean it's always sunny? It's always sunny. For, I always call it fucking Sunny Side. <laughs> <laughs> it's always sunny in Philadelphia. That one, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I don't know which, which I, I, haven't, I haven't seen Atlanta. Um, although I really want to because this. Now Cable and Michael have both recommended it. But yeah, It's Always Sunny is brilliant, if dark, but brilliant. Um, yeah, I do like dark, so I feel like I should probably try it for a bit and see if I like it. Mm. I saw um, yesterday that Childish Gambino's playing at the O2 in London. I mean, Donald Glover is very much the man of the moment, it feels like. so. Um, mm. He's got his uh, finger in many pies, and this is obviously one of them. Yeah, he sure does. Deep, pop quiz for you, Michael. Do you know... <laughs> Where he where he got the name Childish Gambino from? I do because I told you. Oh, I think I did. Oh, was it you yeah. who told me? Sure. <laughs> he put Don Go ahead. Tell tell us now. Put Donald Glover into the one of the well. I think there's probably a few, but there's one I've been on quite a few times that I think's been up on the internet for years now. Into the Wu Tang Clan name generator, and uh, <laughs> used the result Childish Gambino as his artistic name. So yeah, I can't remember what mine is. Um, I think I should I should do it now before the end of the podcast. 
Um, I'm uh, going to go and do yeah, mine now. Let's yeah. all do it. Let's all do it. Live. Well, not really live, but kind of live on that. <laughs> Shall I check if it's um, the right one by putting in Donald Glover? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, yeah. What's it? What's it? Wu Tang. Put in Wu Tang generator. Uh, it's obviously it not this name one. Name generator. Yeah, I've got it here. Messed up. Be is that the one you've got? Oh, there's a yeah. There's a couple there of them. Which one is it, Michael? Yeah, let's use the first one. The top one that comes up. The, the, the mess. The first one does come up, up with Childish Gambino for oh, Donald well, Glover. There we go then. Yeah. Right, I'll go first. Mine is, <laughs> I think I've done this before, Respected Samurai. Nice. Which, uh, decent. <laughs> I've got, for, I've gone for, I've got Fearless Ninja. <laughs> and I've, I've got, and I feel this is very appropriate, Vulgar Knight. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> Uh, you'd love a Vulcan night, wouldn't you, Mike? <laughs> Wait. Great punning. Um, uh, on that note, what is a Gambino? Is that, I don't know. Is it a thing? I think <laughs> that is a good it's saying question. It's saying like samurai and knights. Samurai I'm assuming it's something like that. Something in that area, yeah. I think it's better to that yeah. we don't know now. I like the mystery. Yeah. Well, I thought it might be I one don't. of those things I'm that everyone knew, right but now. I didn't. No, I have no idea. Apparently it's possibly a nickname for someone with short legs. I don't think it's that because if if I take into account like the Wu Tang song Wu Gambinos, if they're just rapping about their height, then that's. <laughs> I think it's um, to do with come to Urban Dictionary. It's the Gambino crime family, right? So possibly yeah. it's saying he's a gangster. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, I thought it would have gangster connotations, but yeah, didn't know exactly what the origin of it was. Well, if Wu Tang have sung about it, that makes sense. That's probably that's probably why it's in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it will be. You can't get that sort of live action on any other podcasts, I'm telling you. You can't, no. no. So People you know. look stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> Revolutionary stuff. <laughs> um, Al, do you want to give us your second review or second yeah. and third, or how are you going to do it, you radical man? It's uh, just going to be a quick one, because um, it's not a new show. I've come late to the party with it, but it's something that I would heartily recommend. It's... Um, a Marvel adaptation TV show called Legion um, it premiered on FX uh, a couple of years ago now it's produced and show run if you like by Noah Hawley who is responsible for the Fargo TV adaptation uh, that that was kind of the main thing that drew me in I mean I, I love I'm you know I'm a bit of a sucker for a kind of a superhero theme anyway but the fact that he was involved made me think okay this could be a bit different and boy, is it a bit different. Um, it stars Dan Stevens as uh, Holler, who is a, schizo- a borderline schizophrenic telepath. Also stars Rachel Keller, Aubrey Plaza, who people probably better know uh, from a variety of comedies, but Parks and Recreation especially. Uh, Gene Smart as well, who people might know from the second season of Fargo, and a whole host of other people, including Jermaine Clement, by the way, uh, from Flight of the Concords. Whoop. This is, imagine David Lynch was asked to make a superhero TV show and he was given a huge budget and this is maybe what you come out with. Legion kind of carries on kind of almost the narrative themeology um, that you get from Fargo in the sense that this is extremely um, chaotic and just unreliable in the, in the way the narrative is told but in a great way. Uh, visually inventive absolutely surreal to the point of uns- an total unsettlement basically i couldn't believe that this was allowed to be made by marvel in the sense that 
Um, no, but I guarantee you, 95% of the audience who goes to watch every Marvel film would be utterly confused by this. Um, <laughs> essentially, you have the main character, who uh, David Holler, who basically wakes up in a in a mental hospital and has been convinced that his powers are actually just his mind uh, playing tricks on him and it kind of diverges from there I, I can't stress how excellent this is I mean I'm midway through the second season now and there's two at the minute I understand there will be a third but X-Men this is not really although it does have elements of it uh, this is like I said a total surrealist take on what is, is a tired genre and um, you know this isn't like all action uh, classic you know get the bad guys uh, mutant television if you like Noah Hawley continues to impress me. I was couldn't believe how good Fargo was, uh, considering the, the source material it had to follow. And this is way better than any X Men film. If I, I really think you would love this, Michael. Um, espe- especially, I, I don't think it's almost not important to like superheroes to watch this. This is pure um, surreal television with j- kind of genre bending, kind of psychedelic twists. And Jermaine Clement is exceptionally well cast, by the way. It's hard to imagine him in a Marvel production, but here you go. It's nice to have uh, Marvel diversifying a little bit then, like you said. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who owned the, the licenses. I don't know if it's owned directly by Marvel. Okay. Or possi- possibly it was owned by um, Fox, who I think owned the X-Men franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is this is really experimental television, if anything else. Um Almost punk, I mean punk, punk with a huge budget, but um, like Blink One Eight Two, yeah, kind of, yeah, a <laughs> bit more creative than that. But um, you'll be watching an episode, and there, there is no straight episode to this. You, there is no, you know, somebody's been kidnapped. Let's go get them back, because so much of the episode will take place within the mind of the various telepaths, uh, in which you know there are no boundaries, and it's just infinitely creative, funny as well, and. I mean, it's not a show you can watch if you're not in the mood. Uh, you could be watching this, and you, I could easily imagine just thinking, "Oh, my brain needs a rest." But um, this is, you know, this is not spoon feed television. Put it that way. Um, I don't have a great deal else to say in it because um, I don't have a huge. I didn't really want to prepare anything before I'd finished it, or I'd at least finished it up to the end of the second season. But um, I would highly recommend it, and I'm I'm surprised I'm this late to the party. But um, it has been critically acclaimed. I'm not. I'm not the only person saying this, but um, yeah, I would, I would really recommend it. Sounds interesting, like I have to say. Yeah, definitely. Like I say, it's good to see Marvel doing something uh, slightly unexpected. Yeah. I think it's kind of a hard sell in the sense that you know, if you're not a Marvel fanatic, you might think, "Oh God, it's another Marvel show or you know, Marvel production." But I would, I would almost ask people to look past the you know Marvel X Men thing, and. Just look into the fact that this is probably the most visually and narratively inventive TV show on TV at the minute. Now, it's not the best show. I've already mm-hmm. clearly expressed what I think is the best in The Handmaid's Tale, but it's. I'm not sure if there is a, any any show that has more narrative invention. But anyway, what I'm going to finish on is just what I call Alex's nice TV section. Uh, <laughs> Can I give shame it a little jingle? Na- yeah, go on, give me a jingle for that. I mean, I don't. It's completely off the cuff here, so. Alex's nice TV section. 
Ah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> jazz um, right there, improvised right there. Um, so there's two, there's two bits of nice TV that I would recommend people. <laughs> One of which is Mortimer and Whitehouse Gone Fishing, uh, in which Bob Mortimer and Paul Whitehouse basically just go fishing and chat. And it's absolutely lovely and hilarious at times. And there's not much more to say. But it feels like you're hanging out with hanging out with your mates, albeit your older mates. Mm-hmm. And it's just... It, it, it's kind of television in, in the same way that The Trip with uh, Steve Coogan and Alan Partridge is. It's kind of... I was just about to say it. I was just about to say, is it fictionalised, like The Trip? Or... No, it's not fictionalised, but it, it does... It, it bears comparison. Oh, yeah. Not a lot happens, but it's it, you know it's just lovely and entertaining. And I think the fact that both Mortimer and Whitehouse have suffered serious heart problems, and right. they, they talk about their own mortality in, in a way that is funny, but also a little bit tragic as well, mm. which is um, is really... I mean, it is just nice TV. Don't get me wrong. It's not going to change your perspective on the world. You're not going to have an awakening, but um, it's just lovely TV. Um, I mean, Bob Mortimer, it, it, I'm not sure if there's anybody funnier in British television. Yeah. And the second one I'm going to recommend is just... Um, Mark Kermode's Secret Cinema, or Secrets of Cinema, sorry, which there's only one episode out so far, which is on rom-coms, which is not a favourite genre of mine. Um, It's on BBC4, and it basically explores kind of the certain genres with a kind of encyclopedic, academic perspective. And um, if that sounds a bit like dry toast, it's really not, because Kermode's so passionate and comes out with such comparisons and illusions that you wouldn't, you wouldn't see coming. It's Again, it's just excellent TV. If you're into cinema and you like to kind of explore certain genres, um, the first episode was excellent, and that's the genre from the list that would have least appealed to me, with the others being sci-fi, the heist movie, etc. I, I would heartily recommend. Oh, that sounds good. I'll check that out. <laughs> yeah, there's only one episode so far, but um, it's just... I mean, I, I'm a big fan of um, his, you know, the podcast he does with Simon Mayo anyway, with Entertainment. But um, but th- this is a bit more academic than that in the sense that it just goes into the genres and it's it's just giving you a different perspective on what are you know well tried well tried genre tropes as such. Uh, the only other thing I've been watching is not part of Alex's nice TV section, but was hilarious nonetheless. Who is America? Um, Sasha Baron Cohen's latest. Um, Vulgar farce, if you will. Vul- no, it was um, Vulgar Night. Vulgar Night. Well, no, I was changing it for that reason. <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to make a crap joke. But... Yeah, yeah. Uh, Shot me down. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, The um, if if you only watch the last ten minutes of the first episode, uh, you probably won't see anything more horrifying and hilarious on TV this so year. So true, yeah. If you're a, if you're a big fan of uh, Baron Cohen at his best, like I am, then you'll get a lot out of this. Uh, and, and an interesting thing about it is that it's um, it's brought the surprise drop to terrestrial TV now. I mean, this has been a thing in music for a few years. A lot of people say Beyonce pioneered it. Um, not sure if that's strictly true, but certainly she's done it a few times now. And uh, we've seen it done with films and TV a bit by Netflix, but. Uh, this this wasn't in the TV listings on Channel Four until like the very last minute, a couple of days before it came out, I think. So, yeah, just shadow just drop. Interesting development. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, from what I understand, the reason it was such a surprise, and it was a surprise on Showtime in America as well, yeah. is that they didn't want too much of it to be publicised. They wanted it to remain a secret, 
And obviously they couldn't announce they were doing this before they did it because the whole idea yeah. was to dupe uh, idiotic Americans into, you know, giving Satya Baron Cohen their pubic hair or advocating guns for toddlers. <laughs> um, all of which happens in the first episode. Um, one of the bits that had me... I don't want to, I'm only going to spoil this joke, but one of the bits that had me cackling the most, and I think this Baron Cohen's so good at this sort of thing, um, the first character is a um, sort of st- redneck stereotype, but a one who's sort of trying to expose politicians, uh, presumably on the left mostly. He, he meets Bernie Sanders in the first episode. But he has an, uh, just the website name when it flashed up, his website name when it flashed up on the screen uh, really got me. Uh, first it says library, but spell, spelled L-I-E, and then it changes to truthbrewery. <laughs> That's his site, truthbrewery.org. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Me thinks that might be some kind of reference to Infowars. Yeah, exactly. Uh, who knows? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, um, plenty of interesting TV then. Michael, did you have anything else to mention before we. No, that's it. That's it, I think, from me. Yeah, that's everything I've been watching lately. Yeah, oh. same. I mean, it, it feels like I haven't. It feels like there's even more TV to be watched as well, but um, it's been a good, good time for TV. Yeah, some. Uh, Good in-depth reviews and some uh, good little recommendations, which are always good as well. So, good episode, um, which means it's plug time. I'm gonna sort of do some background music and do plug time slightly differently. Go for yes. it. Get in contact with the show. Um, stick around podcast at gmail.com. Stick around podcast slash contact for a form. Stick. <laughs> 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 stickaroundpodcast.com for articles we've got articles about Studio Ghibli other things like that um, there's a link later article coming sometime in the next five years from Alex Wayne <laughs> at stickaroundcast sometime. on Twitter um, you, you know everything comes up on there any new stuff that we do will appear slash stickaroundpodcast on Facebook we it's basically just a regurgitated Twitter feed so if you like things that are regurgitated that is the place to go stickaroundpodcast on Instagram um, you can see pictures from about five years ago when's the last time we posted on there we will hopefully do some more soon justgiving.com slash fundraising slash stick around um, to give money to shelter for people who are on the street it seems like this is the only bit that's really sort of uh, right to talk about while doing this sort of sad backing music um, any music there would be appre- any money there would be appreciated um, we've also got a YouTube channel. We're now on the about the eighth episode. I'm working hard, trying to get good at it. I think I'm getting a little bit better, but, you know, you be the judge of that. Get on there, subscribe, comment. I'm just going to do reviews of everything I watch, play and listen to. And I believe that is it. Nicely done. Very And very now nice. I'm crying a little bit. Um, not not because of the homeless people though. I don't know why it was just the music. I was crying well before you got into that. Uh, it's just your emotionally manipulative music. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what I was channeling there. There was some something in my head definitely that that was channeling the the talking over the music, but I can't really know what. It sounded something like the uh, it sounded like the intro to some best '90s anthem that Oasis never wrote. That's what that's what I was getting from. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll take that. Maybe that you know. Maybe they'll be writing it when they get back together. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, uh, yeah. When that happens, Liam's recent tweet. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Swiftly is it? retracted, wasn't it? Was it? Oh, I, okay. was it? Yeah, I think he Noel had overnight to respond, and then when he didn't, uh, Liam was not happy. 
<laughs> well, Noel's never going to respond, is he? No. Because he's Noel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think it's been pretty clear that he's the one uh, stuffing it happening recently. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, you've been you've been wonderful, Michael Johnson, as always. Thank you. So have you, Clive. <laughs> well, thanks. And uh, Alex Wayne, you've also been wonderful. Oh, thank you very much, Clive. You've also been wonderful. I've enjoyed your jingles. Very much. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I might have to make it more of a regular feature just to have a guitar here and just play <laughs> random music. Changes changes the vibe, doesn't it? Maybe I'll do a review just in, in just a sad... Just in jingle form. <laughs> but juxtapose it when it's something like about a comedy or something. I don't know. Who I knows? Feel like you, I feel like your improvised lyrics there were at least... On the level of Ed Sheeran, probably better. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I'll take that. <laughs> I will take that. Um, although I get compared to Ed Sheeran at school all the time in a way that I don't want, that I won't take it. <laughs> well, uh, you, you're beating Ed Sheeran, Clive, for as long as you don't make me have to pay £6 for parking, which is what, ha- what happened <laughs> when, I, when I went to see Doug Stanhope in Newcastle and had no idea Ed Sheeran was playing the same night. Oh no! And that's, so the, t- the t- parking tickets went up because of that. Well, no. Usually, usually you would get to park for free, but I had to pay six. Oh pounds. Jesus Christ! Okay, that is bad. Yeah, Ed thought that. Yeah, he owes me six quid, actually. Basically. Right. I'll, when I make it big, I'll. <laughs> <laughs> right, Ginger Ninja. Um, six quid. Is that his Wu Tang name? Um, it's Ooh, the name let's I've find out where his Wu Tang name is. Yes, let's end on that. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds perfect. We need to find out. I'm going to guess it's going to be something like um, Ginger Cunt. Or, uh, who knows what it'll be. I'm looking now. Well, you're the, you're the one who hates him. Pa- parking Maestro is my guess. Parking Maestro. <laughs> oh, wait, one minute. Clive's going to do the sad music. <laughs> What's Ed Sheeran's? Wu-Tang name <laughs> Al would you hurry up oh with my this great game brilliant. what is it his name is Tough Ambassador <laughs> Tough Ambassador um, spelt T-U-F-F by the way oh, oh my god that is his hip hop side project right there <laughs> that's brilliant like slightly reggae uh, yeah <laughs> it's reggae's side project. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's another that's another genre he can uh, appropriate. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to. I'm currently trying to think of a name for my record label, Tough Ambassador Records. Yes. I'll tell you what, he's going to clear up at the Mobos at this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, do you remember when he was voted best urban artist? I mean, that was yeah. that was satire eating itself, but that was, actually was it, happened because he was born in an urban area. <laughs> Is that how it's judged? A bit like the World Cup. I couldn't. I couldn't, I I couldn't I tell you. The Cotswolds. <laughs> I couldn't tell you the justification for it. I just nearly <laughs> lost a lung laughing when I read it. Where and best country artist is anyone born in the country? <laughs> yeah, probably. <That's> the, yeah. <laughs> Are we? Um, I think we're doing music next time, aren't we? It, it should uh, be so, appropriately. Yeah. So. So, get listening to some Ed Sheeran. Yeah, uh, I'm going to review his latest album. Um, I'm listening to loads of music at the minute so hopefully I'll have some stuff to talk about I'm currently trying to sort of go do a retrospective of Kanye's back catalogue but I've only got as far as College Dropout which I'm very much enjoying so. well I'm on board for that so that could be fun um, It's. I mean I've, I, I'll say I've got as far as College Dropout I've got halfway through College Dropout 
which really good. Um, it's making me laugh. It's uh, brilliant, a lot, yeah. Which, it's, which uh, I wasn't expecting, especially the guy doing the skits. I don't know if that is Kanye. I don't think it is. No, I can't remember who it is. It's, voice. it's someone known, but I can't remember who it is now. It's uh, it's a brilliant yeah. album. I mean, it it really changed my my taste in hip in hip hop when I listened to it back in two thousand and four when it came out. It's uh, yeah. it's it's scintillating, hilarious, uh, moving. It's got everything. Yeah, awesome. So yeah, I'm getting I'm looking forward to getting into that proper. It's just really long, so I've not managed to it is long, sit yeah. through it all yet. Both but... the first two albums are long. Yeah, cool. Um, we'll see, we'll see you all next time for some music action. Then uh, remember to. Stick around. And sad jingle to take us out. Oh, really? Hang on. <laughs> Instead of the, the usual outro music. If I had oh, the no. lyrics here, that'd be good, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's too late. This can meld into the normal music. <laughs> I don't know if I can manage that. <laughs> I'm not not Kanye West. I'm going to come up with some off-the-cuff outro lyrics. Thanks for listening, we'll see you next time. Maybe I'll be able to make this song rhyme. Next we'll have lots of music. I can't think of anything that rhymes with music. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Stick around. <laughs>